In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers. Excuse me, I'm going to in chapter 3, that's wrong. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. There often becomes points in our life, I think, uh, as we grow, as we experience things where we need advice. Uh, And the question is, where do we go uh, for advice? I've been very grateful in my life to have two very loving parents. Uh, If I have any theological issue or personal issue that I need to go, I oftentimes will call my dad and just uh, bounce it off of him and say, hey, what do you think of this? Or if I have any other questions uh, or need encouragement or need general advice, I'll call my mom and say, mom, what do you think? I did that this last week. We were thinking about buying some furniture. So I call my mom, mom, what do you think of this furniture? Is it good? Is it bad? Tell me what you think. If mom says it's okay, then usually it's a pretty good deal. Um, Both will help me. They'll help me think through things. They give me good advice. And we have different people we go to like that. So friends or family, um, perhaps uh, our family at church or people who we know have experienced different things that we may be going through. And so we go and we ask advice. But when it comes to the knowledge of salvation, how may we have saving faith? The only source that we can truly rely on is the word of God. We know, because the word tells us, that the created world is not enough. We can observe God in creation. The Bible tells us this. We can see him. Uh, Creation leaves man without without excuse. That we may even learn some things about his nature, but it cannot tell us how we are saved. And the only place where we can find how we're saved is the word of God, his will revealed to us. And because of that, it must be of the utmost importance to us. And throughout the history of the church, there have been many words associated with the Bible. Uh, Words like the inerrant word, the infallible word, the authoritative word, the sufficient word. And all of these are things that describe what the word is. Uh, Inerrant and infallible are kind of two words that are similar. Some people see them as the same, but inerrancy says the Bible does not err. Infallible means that the Bible cannot err. Error. So not only does it not, it cannot err. Authoritative means uh, that it has authority over for us. Sufficient means it is sufficient for all that we need for pertaining to matters of salvation. The Bible is very important to the Christian life. It's where we go to examine the depths of our hearts. To know where we stand before God. 
And this is the point that the writer of Hebrews is making. And remember, we have to be reminded, what is the exhortation he's been making? Today, as long as it's called today, do not turn back to a former false religion. Persevere in the faith of Jesus Christ. Knowing that the word of God is living and active. The Bible strikes us to our core. It's interesting, as, as even as we read this morning, as Alan came up here and was reading from the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 18, and as I listened to these words and read along with Alan, I was like, Aren't these words timeless? A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. Can you apply that to life today? But only expresses his opinion. When wickedness comes, contempt also. And with dishonor comes disgrace, and so on and so forth. And you go, these are words that are enduring. They teach us something, but it's more uh, than just wisdom. It's about salvation. It will either come and reveal to us who God is or it will come and judge us for our disobedience so as we come this morning we're going to see three things the living word the penetrating word and the sufficient sufficient word the living word the penetrating word and the sufficient word we begin by looking at the living word As we've said, the author has been encouraging the reader, hold fast under trials. Do not forfeit the message of Christ, because if you do, you also forfeit salvation. And he has been constantly, and he has since chapter 1, he'll do it to the end of the book, been referencing scripture. Specifically, as we've looked at chapter 4, he's been referencing Psalm 95. And I love that there's something interesting about Psalm 95, because Psalm 95, he is the Old Testament writer, the Hebrew writer here, is referencing David, who David then referencing Egypt in the Exodus. So it's kind of like this quote of a quote type thing, right? You have him saying the words of David are authoritative, and David, looking back to the Exodus, is saying the Exodus is authoritative, It's pointing to scripture, all of scripture, that David's words still hold relevance for us today. They hold authority for those who are reading them. And that they're not merely David's words, that they're the words of God. And the Bible is a large book. You know how many authors wrote the book of the Bible? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, you're trying. 44. I believe that's right. Looked it up. Maybe it's wrong. 44 different authors. Real men with real thoughts dealing with actual circumstances. But then we go to the Bible. We see things like 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture. And the word actually used here. The English translation is breathed out. Uh, Probably a better translation for this is expired. And we often think when you think of expired, you tend to think of dates, right? Oh, that's expired, or that person expired, whatever it may be. Uh, What expire is, though, is breathing out. That's why we say breathing out. Um, It's expired, the breathed out 
word of God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Bible is not inspired by men, but it's expired, breathed out by God. God lives in you. He acts in you through his living word by the application of the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther says, let a man who would hear God speak, read Holy Scripture. A Puritan by the name of Thomas Watson said this, by reading other books, the heart may be warmed. But by reading this book, it is transformed. The the word of God is living. It's active. That's what it says here in verse 12. God's word is living and active. This is why we can say that it's relevant for us. It's authoritative. It's binding on those who read it. Because it can transform who we are. Second Peter, Peter in 2 Peter says this, uh, 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. A prophecy here not only meaning future prediction, but also the revelation of God's teaching. No, none of it ever came on man's own. The word of God then imparts life. It's not just telling us religious tidbits and facts about the tradition of the church or anything like that. It's, it's God's working his salvation out in the history of the world. Bringing salvation to those who would receive that message and believe. We often, there's some even Bible translations that will say, this is the living Bible translation or something like that, right? And I think we can oftentimes quickly pass over that living, but it it is living. And there's, you may read books. I like to read books. I like to read uh, fiction books that tell a good story. And and often in fiction books, I may be moved. Uh, I I remember when my wife was reading uh, through the Harry Potter series, Uh, And a certain character died. She was like weeping. Like it moved her to the point of tears in the reading. But at the end of the day, it was just a story about a fictional character in a fictional world of a person who never existed or didn't, you know, it brought emotion out of her. You may love a character. You may hate a character. But at the end of the day, they're not alive. The Bible is the only book that can impart life. It gives us words of knowledge that we need to bring us out of death into eternal life. But here's something interesting that you may may or may not know. The Bible and its life-giving properties can only be attained through the reading of said word. We must be in the word, knowing the word, so we know what we are to do. It reveals to us how we are to have relationship with God. It gives us knowledge. It brings us out of death into life. So we see a word that is living, is life-giving. But we also see a word that penetrates, the penetrating word 
of God. The, the writer here says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. When we think about a, a double-edged sword, so, of course, we know that swords uh, are often used to talk about uh, Scripture in the Bible, right? We go to the Ephesians and we see the whole armor of God and what is the sword called? The sword uh, that is the word, right? Sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, right? Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. We see in Revelations when we're being, Jesus is being described in Revelations 1, he's holding a, or there was a double-edged sword protruding for his, from his mouth, and it's an image that describes penetrating or the piercing power of God's word. And when you talk about swords, swords were implements of um, attacking in battle, right? And you see a sword, a lot of swords would have one side. And so in essence, if you hit with a single-edged sword, uh, if you hit somebody with the blunt ed, edge, it might hurt. But, you know, it's not going to cut as well. Uh, a double-edged sword was much more lethal because it doesn't matter which end of the blade you hit with, it's going to cut, right? Now, if you stick with the pointy end, it's going to more easily penetrate. That is the image that is being used here of the word of God. It penetrates us and its purpose becomes twofold. It comes and, and comes to us and it discerns us. It assesses our attitude towards the one who sent it. It has the ability to convict us, to subdue us, to lead us to the good shepherd. In the word, we learn of a savior who takes away our sins. And we know how he did this. How did Jesus take away our sins? We see of a savior who who was Jesus, the Son of God, who came flesh, who took on uh, our condition, who was obedient, who died on the cross, and we rejoice in him. We race forward, we follow after him. And, and the, Bible, the Bible shows us a picture. If we were to, to sit here and we had never read the Bible and we got here together this morning and we were like... Guys, we, need, we know that we need to be saved. Let's come up with a good way that we can be saved. We would never conceive of the Bible, right? When you think about what it takes to save someone, uh, so in, in this context, we say, okay, we've done bad. We know we've done bad, and we've done varying degree of bad, but we've done bad, right? We've, done, we've dis been disobedient. We know in our hearts that we at times do things wrong. How do we take care of this? And what would we start to say? Well, let's do good. Right? If we do good, then that'll make up for the bad. And so what we do is we would create a ledger. Here's what I've done wrong. Let me, let me do now right things. And I can balance it out, right? That's what we would do. And so when we think about the Bible, it doesn't make sense. The whole message of salvation is so contrary to what we would naturally do. And I don't think, I use this silly idea of us getting here together, but we don't have to do that even. Go look at world religions that are not Christianity. And what do they teach you? What's the whole principle of karma? 
If you put good in, you'll get good back. But if you do bad, what's going to do? come back to you? Bad. It's the whole notion of there is a cosmic balance, and whatever you will do will come back to you, be it good or bad. You, you see this. This is what we've created. <clears throat> but the Bible comes in and says, no, it's not about what you do. You can't do. No, God has to do for you. And let me tell you how God did that. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. And we hear that word. And for some of us, as that sword goes in, on the one edge, it cuts us to the core. And it convicts us. And we come in faith and we come in repentance. But what's the other edge of that sword? This is foolishness. It brings judgment. If we hear the word and do not receive that word, it judges us. Because it says here that the word comes and it's sharp. It pierces it, it to the division of soul and spirit, to the joints and marrow. I mean, you think about that. When you talk about joints and marrow, you're talking about all the little pieces between you, right? Where your joint meets, there's marrow holding those things together. And it's saying it cuts us completely. And this is his warning. Remember verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. That's where he's coming off of this. Don't fall away because the word of God is going to come and it is going to cut you to your core. It'll either bring you judgment or it will bring you saving faith. God's word will find all. It is a very rare thing, I think, anymore that people don't have at least some interaction with the word of God, even on some basic level. Because, and, and the reason I think we can see this is, look at the world. The world is growing increasingly hostile towards Christians. And they can't grow hostile towards, a, towards us without at least some interaction and knowledge of what we believe. Now, I do believe, that that, that being said, that some of the hostility coming towards the church is because the church has not done what it should have done. But there is, I believe, also a hostility to the truth when that truth is rejected. Because the Bible does not muddle, does it? The, the Bible comes and says, you either are mine and you will come to heaven or you are not mine, and you will go to hell. It comes and says, there is blessings for those who are in me, and there is a punishment for those who are not. And we don't like punishment. The world does not like being told, you're wrong, and you will be held accountable. It's not a popular... I say the world. I don't like being told I'm wrong and that I will be held accountable. Nobody likes it. We don't like being told we're wrong and that we have to suffer the penalty for our being wrong. And that never stops. I'm sorry, young ones. It never stops. You may be getting in trouble now at home or at school, but it doesn't stop when you get older. You, 
Uh, oftentimes my child will say to me, it's not fair. Well, you don't have to get the same punishments that we do. And I'm saying, look, we still have to work through those things and there's still consequences for our actions. They may not be grounding. They may not be spanking anymore, but there are still consequences. The word comes and it pierces. It penetrates us to the core, either to condemn or to save. And it's not something that we can escape. And I believe this still is is the intent of the author here. So, therefore, today, while it is still called today, that means before Jesus comes again, hear his word and submit to his word. Come and know the saving faith that can only be found in him. Because, and this is our third and final point, the word of God is sufficient. It is sufficient for all your needs. Everything that you need in faith and godliness. Verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. No one will escape it. It uncovers every heart, every act, every intention. And it will bring them before the throne of God. I think sadly, the problem in this, even as we talk about the world and we've talked about some of this, we live in a time where many self-proclaimed Christians, maybe in some who are actually truly Christians, but are living in some sin, which we all are, have lost confidence in the Bible. My wife was telling me, I didn't actually read this article, but it was something she had read and it was talking about our, our current pope, uh, or the, our current pope, the current pope. Um, and a young boy, I don't know how old he was, like nine or ten, came to him and said, my daddy was an atheist, is he in hell? And they, the response of the pope was, no, uh, he's a good man, he was a good man and he took care of you, and so God wouldn't send a good man to hell. And that's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. But that's a popular position. Oh, I don't want to tell this young child or, hey, we're the Catholic Church and, or, or any church. And not just Catholic, I'm not picking on the Catholic Church because I think we do this across the board. Um, it says we want it to be attractive to people. And people don't want to hear that maybe their loved one, their father or mother or sister or brother might be in hell. It's a conversation we've had to have with our, our children when Ashton was still at public school. She goes, I have a Muslim friend, and she's nice, and I like her. And I said, yeah, it's good. She's nice, and that's fine to like her and have a relationship with her. But she asked, like, so, but she doesn't believe in God like we do. I said, no, she doesn't. And I said, if she continues in that estate, then there's a punishment for that. It is a reality. And the church doesn't like it because it's not popular and it's not it doesn't draw in the crowds right but when we begin to do this when we say the the bible no longer has the the weight that it does then everything is affected our evangelism no longer becomes about truth it becomes about ploys how do we get people in our doors 
How do we say the things that we need to say that are attractive and tickle people's ears and go, oh, that makes them feel good about themselves. So they'll come. Or our spiritual growth depends on programs and gimmicks. You think about, particularly, I think more and more our youth programs are about how do we get the youth in? So it's not becoming about studying the word of God. It becomes about, hey, this is fun. Come and we'll have a good time. We don't convict. We don't teach. Oftentimes, and I'm not making any any wholehearted sale on this, but I think we have to begin to ask the question. When Sunday morning looks more like the concert on Sunday night or Saturday night, what are we doing? Is, are we doing something wrong in that? Are we trying to attract the eyes of the world? And are we trying to make it attractive, but taking away the sting of the sword? We can't take away the power of the sword. God's word alone is sufficient for all that we need. And guess what? If you take away part of the sufficient word, it's no longer sufficient. It is sufficient, but you're giving them insufficiency, right? You understand what I'm saying? You take away the message and it becomes not enough. It's the power of God made available to us for salvation. It's the force that moves us in holiness. To be taught, to be rebuked, to be inspired by God. Knowing that to him we are made accountable. And not to mention that, it's the only place that we have hope. We have comfort. As we are, if we are honest with ourselves, confronted with the reality of our immorality. At least that's what the world, I call it sinfulness. The world might look at themselves and go, I know I'm not always moral. We're not going to get into the fact that they know that there's morality. It's a whole other conversation. But they know, I've done bad. How do I change it? So how do we truly make a difference in this life? We commit ourselves to the word of God. We bring ourselves into its life-changing light. We share the word by any means that we can. Because the word of God is sufficient. It's all that we need. And look. We can read a book, and a, uh, even a religious book, and that's good, right? And it can be good. We have to be careful, but it can be good. But we always must remember. So we, we go through Sundays, and we go through our confession. And I think it's a good practice to go through our confession. Yes, the language is archaic at times. I think there's a lot of positives. It ties us uh, to our faith. It ties us to the history of the church. But at the end of the day... The confession is not the word. It's not. It doesn't save us. It doesn't transform us. Only God's word can do this. And we say the same. I can can sit here through the course of the week and read any number of theological books. And I'll do that. And I'll continue to do it. I think it's helpful. But it's not the word of God. We can, the ladies can come here on Monday nights and they can, of course, right now they are studying the word of God, but through a study. But, but even the study itself, while it may be helpful, it's not the word of God. And there's still words in there written by sinful individuals that can err. Again, I'm not saying it's not good. I'm just saying we have to remember that the weight that is given to scripture 
I think in a, in a, there's a sense in which we don't necessarily want to add to Scripture. And when I say that, we don't want to sit down and go, well, let me write another book of the Bible. That oftentimes is not the temptation. Our, our adding to Scripture is much more subtle. Yeah, second mark. <laughs> we add requirements to faith. I think particularly in the South, we're really good about making our checklist, right? We've often, we'll talk about this. Did I do this? Did I do this? Did I do this? Whatever that may be. We have our checklist. Or we make worship about us and not about God. I think we're actually much more likely to remove scripture. We want to make scripture relative to time and place. And so you will hear people say things like this. Well, you know, that was true for them. But we're so much more advanced now. It's not true for us anymore. Those people were, they were simpletons in the evolutionary chain who just needed that as a crutch to get us to where we are now. And you go, no. Scripture is relative to all time and to all places. When we remove scripture, when we remove its influence, it enables us to live however we want to live. We don't have to be bound by its idea of right and wrong. And in essence, we can, we can be Pilate. I can just wash my hands of any guiltiness in this water. Right? I'm good. I've removed it. And the writer says, no, the word of God will cut you to the core, to every joint, to every marrow. All else must be in submission to the word of God. So we can read the confessions. We can read Christian books as they seek to be in submission to the word of God. We must surrender ourselves to that word. It's the principle of the Bereans, right? And you'll often hear, this is a great example of the Bible, and they are, they are a great example. The Bereans in Acts, Paul came to them, and he was teaching them and said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And what did they do? Okay, we hear what you're saying. Let us go back it up in Scripture. We always have to be doing that. Even if Paul himself came in this room and preached to us, he's not Jesus. We have to be backing up everything with the word of God. All else must fall away. We must surrender ourselves to its life-giving power. That it reveals to us how we can be saved from sin and death. To be reconciled to our God in heaven. It is so important. The Bible is so important. The inerrant, the infallible, the authoritative, the sufficient word of God. We need it. This gives life. Life everlasting. This gives to you life. There is no life apart from it. And yes, in conjunction with that is the working of the Holy Spirit. That life will not be imparted without the Spirit's working, without his revealing, 
But you cannot know him without knowing his word. For the word of God is living. It's the only thing that we will ever, uh, that will never end. Without it, we will surely die. Uh, We come under its penalty and wrath because it penetrates us to the core. It reveals our sin and our guilt. And in our sin and guilt, it reveals to us our end. That there is a day that is coming that we will, we will give account before God in heaven. But it also reveals to us how we can be saved. That, there, that we can have newness of life when we come to faith in the one who has provided for us forgiveness. Knowing that it not only penetrates us, but is sufficient for all our needs. There is nothing more that we need to our faith. It comes to us and tells us that Jesus is the only way. All other books can fade away. If I left today and God forbid there was some isolated fire in my office and all my books burned away and yet I had my Bible, that's enough. It's enough. And trust me, I am thankful for wiser men than me as I work my way through this Bible who have worked through it and I can read their words and go, oh, you know what? I never thought about it that way. And then I go back to the word and say, yes, I see. And then sometimes I look at it and go, no, I don't, I don't think that's right. And I go back to the word and I say, no, I don't see it saying that. Because there, I mean, we talked about last week about what is the Sabbath rest. And there are biblical uh, scholars, there are men I respect who would say, you know, we don't have to necessarily keep a Sabbath anymore. And I go, I don't see that. I respect you. I respect your work. But I don't see that. And I can disagree with that. But we go to the Bible. We need the Bible. It's sufficient. We must not take our eyes off this word. Because... And I got in trouble for not saying this last week. In the word, we see that Jesus is better. Better than what? Everything. Everything. Ashley got on to me. She goes, you didn't say it at the end of the sermon last week. She said, you're going to say it every week. And I said, I said, you get tired of me saying it. I didn't say I would say it every week. Because Jesus is better than everything. And the Bible comes and tells us Jesus is better. There's nothing that is better than Jesus. And it is the only way which you come to saving faith. That you can be reconciled to your God in heaven. The Bible shows us Jesus who is better. So don't seek after this world. Don't seek after its lies. Find the truth that is found in him. Because this sword or this Bible comes as a sword. And it cuts us to the core. Revealing sin, yes. But also revealing the grace and the mercy of Jesus for sinners who were lost and dying and he brings us life. This is a treasure. I don't think you realize, and I know I oftentimes don't realize what a treasure it is that you can right now pick up your phone, your phone, and have access wherever you are pretty much to the word of God. Do you know what Christians in the history of the church would have given for that kind of access to the word of God? Many of them died for it. Died for it. You think about the early people who were translating Bibles so that people could read it. Like um, 
Tyndall? I think it was Tyndall or was it Wycliffe? One of them. Tyndall first, yeah. Tyndall died. He was murdered because he was translating the Bible into English. He was killed because they were not allowed to do that. Luther was tried to be killed on multiple occasions, but he got the Bible out in German for the Germanic people. And we have it so readily. And how often do we just set it on a shelf? Go to it. Find the life-giving words. And I know, look, I know that it's not easy. I know that even as you, we read through the Proverbs on Sunday mornings, we look at it and go, what, are they, what is the point of this? But as we surrender ourselves to it, as we give it time, it's funny. It's easy for me to get lost in a story. I, I love the Lord of the Rings. We've been walking the neighbor with a friend of ours and, and a couple of our in the neighborhood. Some some evenings and we're talking and you get into like, well I don't did this, this oh yeah that happened it happened on you know at this part of the book at this point and, and oh yeah and because he had to go do this and you know all the little details because I've read it so many times right and and you go. And then, this is funny, the same conversation, same person, we were having a conversation the other night, we were talking about some patches of numbers, passage in numbers that he was looking at, and I was like, oh, I don't know, I'd have to go find that. I don't, I don't have that. I understand numbers is hard. Um, but there's a difference, isn't there, at times? And it was more of an obscure, obscure passage, but it was still re- relevant. He had a question about it, and he was wanting me to help him with it. And I'm like, I, I'll have to go look at it. I did. I haven't gotten back with him, but I did go look at it. And we'll talk about it later. We need to have that kind of passion for the Bible. Are we more apt to read through our favorite book each year than we are to read through the Bible each year? It's the life-giving word. We need to come to it and surrender ourselves to it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word, your life-giving word, the sword that is double-edged that pierces us to the core. Lord, would we submit and surrender to it? For we know in it we find life. We find all we need to know about you. We see our responsibility, what you require of us. And we find your character and who you are. Strengthen us as we come to your word, as we study it and surrender ourselves to it. We ask and pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen.